Thank you, Matt. And uh, good morning, everyone. You know, uh, we keep praying for Todd. And, you know, Todd is the epitome of health. It's, it's just crazy that he has had to struggle with all these issues. And, you know, when he had his stomach problems, they put him on this bizarre diet. And so when he comes to our meetings, he's got a big jar of green goo. And then he drinks that, you know, and uh, supposedly that's the right diet for Todd. You know, we're intrigued by diets, aren't we? You know, there's all these diets out there. And I, I did a little research and found the top 10 diets for 2019. So if you're taking notes, you might want to be ready because we're always on the hunt, right, for the new thing. The Mediterranean diet, of course, which is the right one. There's the DASH diet. I think that's just like sprint to the fridge diet. I'm not sure what that is. It's what the men have been doing this weekend while the women have been on the retreat, the DASH diet, in and out. Uh, or Chick-fil-A, I should say. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. And here, yeah. <laughs> and then there's the new one. It's called the flexitarian diet. You might want to jump onto that one. And of course, everyone's given up on Weight Watchers. I don't know. Oprah's lost a lot of money in the course of that. And then here's a good one, the mind diet. I think this is the one where you just imagine the weight falling away. There's the Nordic diet. There's the keto diet, there's the Whole30 diet, and there's two more, and I can't pronounce them, so we'll just skip them. But we, we're, we're intrigued with the new thing. And we have never lived in a time in history where we have more access to information, to interesting data. And in fact, Google knows everything about us. We, we have no idea what the, the tsunami of what is happening in our world with the massive amount of information, but it, it tickles our ears. We're always checking out for the, for the new thing. And that's what the Apostle Paul was struggling with the Corinthians. And in fact, you'll see later, they struggled with their diet as well as we get into later chapters. But these were people, as you've seen in these first couple of weeks when we've been wrestling with 1 Corinthians, is uh, they were all about wisdom. A particular kind of wisdom, a wisdom for the elite, a wisdom for the, for the brilliant, for the smart, for the well-to-do. And they would have all sorts of visiting philosophers and teachers come their way, and it just intrigued them. You know, we want to hear the latest. And Paul's having a struggle with them because they're not really impressed with Paul. And they feel like he's giving them baby food, but we want something for the mature. We want something for the enlightened. We want something that'll make us feel smart and ahead of the game. So Paul, in chapter 2, he says, okay, verse 6, uh, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature. The Corinthians' ears have now perked up. Wisdom for the mature? That's what, that's what we want. We consider ourselves the, the smart of the smartest. The, the, the elite, the, the wisdom. Give us this new word you have, Paul. Now, in order to understand this passage that we're going to look at this morning, you, you have to be okay with sarcasm and, and a bit of bite, so, some wit, because Paul is really going to let them have it, and he's going to sort of reel them in with a lure like you would with a fish. And he'll end it 
essentially with a trap. So watch his flow of thinking as we work through this. Yeah, there is a message of wisdom among the mature, Paul says, verse 6, but it's not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom. It's a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. There's a wisdom of this age. There's a wisdom of the rulers of this age, but Paul contrasts it with what he calls the wisdom of God. We do like the wisdom of this age. And Paul says this, this, this is for the mature. The Corinthians, they love that. And I want to suggest that when we look at this passage, that we're very careful with it. And we understand Paul's sarcasm. Because this passage in the latter half of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3 has been used to create classes of Christians within the church. Those who are really mature and those who are babies. And then the carnal ones, those who are worldly. Paul has no design in creating classes of spirituality within the church. Because right now he's being sarcastic. He's being witty. He's kind of putting back in the Corinthians' face their uh, desire for the latest, for maturity, for wisdom. So follow along. Paul talks in verse 6 about this age. This age. Biblical time, as you read the scriptures, is divided in half. There's this age, and then there is the age to come. And this age is what we live in. The age to come is when God is going to make everything right. When his kingdom will be established here on earth. But Paul's made a really big deal about the cross. And the cross has transformed our understanding of this age and the age to come. Because right in the middle of this age, Jesus arrived and said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, of course, three years later, that ended with him on the cross. And so many people's hopes apparently were dashed, but those that saw him in the resurrection that understood, no, something has happened in the middle of this age because of the cross. And you know that when Jesus died on the cross, the curtain in the temple was split in two. Everything about time now has changed. And in one sense, we're living now in the beginning of the age to come. The age to come has come near and is now present. The kingdom of God, as Jesus prayed, can be realized here on earth as it is in heaven. And Paul says in verse 18, yeah, that message is foolishness to the rulers of this age, to the wisdom of this age. But we're a community of people that gather around the cross and believe in the resurrection and want to understand the wisdom of God. It's called a mystery. 
It's been hidden. But God destined this message for our glory. We are moving toward the age to come. But right now we're in the, what you might call the already, but the not yet. God's kingdom has come through the cross and the resurrection. And we're enjoying the foretaste of that. And in fact, we're his representatives in this age anticipating the age to come. Verse 8. None of the rulers of this age understood it. They just didn't get it. For if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. However, verse 9, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. When we gather together in worship, when we pray for one another, when we, when we visit friends in the hospital, when we care for our neighbors, we're, we're experiencing and part of the foretaste of what God desires and designs for this world, that his kingdom would show up here on earth the way it is in heaven. But the wisdom of this age doesn't get it. They don't understand it. The wisdom of God for the mature is found in the crucified Lord of glory. T.S. Eliot, in his pageant play, The Rock, says this, Where is the life we have lost in living? Where is the wisdom we have lost in knowledge? Where is the knowledge we have lost in information? And it was Albert Einstein that said, Information is not knowledge. There's a difference between big data. There's a difference between bits and bytes of information and turning that into knowledge. But knowledge is not wisdom. John Nesbitt, long time ago in Megatrends, this is what he said, we are drowning in information but starved for knowledge. Are we smarter than our grandparents or great-grandparents? We have a lot more information. But what does it mean to be truly smart? What does it mean for our smarts to turn into wisdom? Information is the what. Knowledge is the how. But wisdom gets into the why. Why are we here? What is this all for? What is the meaning of this existence that we have? And that takes wisdom, not merely information and knowledge. Our love affair with information does not necessarily translate into transformation. And that's what we long for. That's what we hope for in the midst of the storm, as we sang this morning. That we would have a sense that God is for us and with us and moving us in the right direction. We long for that. Verse 10. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. What are these things? What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived the things God has prepared for those who love him. Verse 10, the Spirit searches 
all things, even the deep things of God. Is this wisdom the Spirit gives for the elite or for the elect? Now, the Corinthians, they considered themselves part of the elite. This secret knowledge, this secret wisdom that if you're smart enough or wealthy enough or you can, you can sort of arrange things because you have the right kind of power, they were the elite and they felt like they had access to this sort of super knowledge. Where does it come from? Paul said, God has revealed to us by his spirit. It is God who has chosen to give us wisdom. It is freely given. It's not for the elite, it's for the elect. It's for for those who love him, for those that, that are humble and open to this wisdom that the Holy Spirit gives. We're introduced here for the first time in this letter to the Holy Spirit. Paul says the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. And it's interesting because the Corinthians didn't think Paul was very deep, which is ironic. Wrote much of the New Testament. Hey, you know, we, we want to go deep with God. And, uh, and, and your teaching is kind of elementary, you know. It's like, like we want to move on. Give us, give us the meat. Give us the, 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 the deep things. And, and that's a natural, like, inclination and longing to give us something new. And so we're on the hunt for that new speaker, that, that new podcast, that new communication, that, that, that new way of doing things. That's very natural and normal for us. Well, the Corinthians love that. They love the deep things of God, the secret hidden things of God. But notice what Paul says in verse 12. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. So that, now get this, don't miss this, so that we may understand what God has freely given to us. I want to say here fundamentally that if someone is in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. And the Holy Spirit is the one who's freely given, not because we earn it, not because we're smart enough, not because we've somehow figured something out on our own. The Holy Spirit is given to us as a free gift so that we might understand. The Holy Spirit can give you the same understanding as the person that you consider to be the most mature and well-educated, seminary education. If you're in Christ, the Holy Spirit is in you. And he is freely given to you so that you might understand. It's a wisdom that oftentimes people miss. They make a mistake. They think it's got to be something different. But fundamental to following Jesus is the fact that you have the Holy Spirit and he longs to give you understanding into the deepest reservoir of who God is.
What have we received? Not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God so that we may understand what God has freely given to us. He's the one that takes information and moves it to insight. So that our minds are awakened and we begin to understand what God is doing. In fact, you can't come to Christ without the prompting of the Holy Spirit that nudges and opens up your mind and gives you insight. And now all of a sudden it seems like the lights are turning on and you're drawn to Jesus. And it may seem foolishness to friends around you, but Jesus woos you. And you move toward him and you surrender and say yes to him and you begin to experience a transformation in your life. The Holy Spirit is not reserved for the mature. The Holy Spirit is not reserved for the deeper parts of the Christian life. No, the Holy Spirit is with us from the very beginning, giving wisdom and insight. And then notice how Paul ends this chapter, the last phrase in verse 16. We have the mind of Christ. How do you say that? Because the Holy Spirit gives us an understanding into the very thinking and thoughts and wisdom of Jesus. He's a conduit into the brain, into the mind, into the thinking. And Dallas Willard called Jesus the smartest person that's ever lived. And Paul says, we have his mind. We have access to his thinking. I want to take a little trail and think about this mind of Jesus. The mind of Christ that we have access to through the Holy Spirit. And I want to refer you to Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. Paul says this, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And then I'll back up a bit to verse 2 in Philippians 2. This is what Paul says about the mind of Christ. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. This is the mind of Christ. This is what he's thinking about. This is what is in the frontal lobe of Jesus. When he thinks about our relationships and how we get along with one another... These are the deeper things of God. Look what he says in verse 6 of Philippians 2. Who, Jesus, being in very nature God, in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is the mystery. This confounds the human way of thinking. I don't understand that God himself would solve the world's problem by coming into our world, taking the form of another human, humbling himself, submitting himself to the misunderstanding of the rulers of this age who had no wisdom and who crucified him on a cross. It makes no 
sense. That's the mind of Christ. That's the mind of our Savior. And Paul said, we have the mind of Christ. We have access to that mind. I go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. What does he say? Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. They're like, well, wait a minute. No, no. We, we think you're the one who's the infant. We think you're the one that's giving us baby food, and now you're, you're turning the tables on us? Paul's reeling them in. He's luring them in to his trap. He says in verse 2, I gave you milk. And they say, yeah, you sure did. We're, we're tired of the milk. We want the meat. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready. Indeed, you are still not ready. You're still worldly. Corinthians are like, oh, wait a minute. I don't understand. Why are they not ready? Why are the Corinthians who have this longing for this amazing new information and philosophy and insight and wisdom, why are they not ready? What are they missing? How do they not have the mind of Christ? How do they have the Holy Spirit? And yet Paul says you're still living according to that old system, that human wisdom. What, what's going on here? Here's the clincher. Verse 3. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? And then he goes back and refers to them saying, hey, some of you say I follow Paul and another I follow Apollos. Are you not mere human beings? This is fundamental. They think they're so smart, and Paul says you can't even get along with one another. You want upper division courses, and you haven't passed the general ed. In fact, Paul says you'll, you'll never get past the fundamentals. Yeah, yeah, the cross. Let's move on to the Holy Spirit. No, the Holy Spirit always takes you back to the cross. Always. I want to tell you a story that comes from 1961. And uh, the Green Bay Packers had a great lead in the championship football game. And uh, they lost in the end to the Philadelphia Eagles, a crushing defeat. And uh, the Green Bay Packers are coached by Vince Lombardi. And uh, that summer, they gathered together in 1961 for the next season. And they're all, we got to have a better game plan. We got to have something that's going to take us to the next level. We can't lose like that anymore. And uh, Vince Lombardi gathers all these football players together. And he reaches down and he picks up a football. And he says, gentlemen, this is a football. And they're like, yeah. We know it's a football. We're professional football players. And he says, this is where it begins. This is a football. 
Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. We, we know that, but we need a better game plan. We can't lose anymore. And he says, gentlemen, it starts right here. This is a football. And Vince Lombardi became famous for taking his football players at the beginning of every season and wiping the whiteboard clean and starting as if they knew nothing. This is a football. Today, we're going to go to the table. And I want to say, we hold up that loaf of bread, and I want to say, ladies and gentlemen, this loaf of bread, this is love. We never move beyond learning how to love one another. You want to go deep in Jesus? Stop quarreling and being caught up in jealousy with one another. It's where it begins. It's absolutely fundamental to the life of the River Church that we learn how to love one another. Oh, but let's go deep. You can never get deeper than learning how to love your brother and sister. And when there's jealousy and quarreling, Paul will say, hey, time out. Let's wipe the board clean. Let's start back with the fundamentals. This is a football. I want you to listen to some samplings of how central this message is to our life in Jesus. John says in 1 John, for this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. In the gospel, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. In Leviticus, way back in the Old Testament, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone, but love your neighbor as yourself. Peter said, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Paul said in Romans, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law john again dear children let us not love with words or speech but with actions and in truth john no one has ever seen god but if we love one another god lives in us and his love is made complete in us this is how we know that we live in him and he in us he has given us of his spirit. 1 Corinthians, do everything in love. Ephesians, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And we'll see this in 1 Corinthians 13, the famous love chapter. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. We'll never move beyond this. I want you right now to picture in your mind the face of someone that you would sense the Holy Spirit wants you to love better. 
not just in words and speech, but in action. Who, who do you have in your mind? Just open yourself up to the Holy Spirit right now because he's here. He connects us with the mind of Christ. And he reveals the places in our lives where there may be jealousy and quarreling. And just pray silently in your own heart and mind, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Your presence is welcome in my life. I yield to you. And may you apply the cross of Christ that I might follow him as his disciple and learn how to love. Oh God, may the River Church be overflowing with love for one another, for our neighbors, for the world. Amen. We come to the table and Jesus says, this is love. The bread represents Jesus' body. It's broken for us. And we take that torn bread, that broken body, we take it and we dip it in the juice, representing the shed blood of Jesus. We dip it and then we eat it. Jesus says, take this, eat it in remembrance of me. It's so aesthetically powerful that we take the very body and blood of Jesus and we ingest it and then miraculously our body takes that and processes it and flows out into all our cells and all our muscles and all our ligaments so that we might live as representatives of Jesus in this world. And you know what the deepest thing we could ever do is to say, Jesus, I will take you seriously. I will take the cross of Christ seriously. Holy Spirit, come in and wash me and cleanse me. So the worship team's gonna lead us. Welcome the Holy Spirit to just have his way in our lives. Come when you're ready.